Hello and welcome to Worship with Grace United Church in Hanover, Ontario. We are so glad you have joined us today. May the service we have to share speak to your spirit this week. My name is Sarah Brewer and I'm delighted to be here in ministry with Grace United Church while McCall is on leave to support the wider United Church. We continue to hold McCall in his, our prayers and ask God's blessing on the ministry he's offering for the good of our denomination. Another transition coming up for us at Grace this week is that we'll be resuming an in-person option for worship beginning September 5th. Services will continue to be shared online and on TV for those who want to continue worshiping with us through one of these means. If you're someone who would prefer the in-person option, you will need to phone Laurel in the church office to book a seat by Thursday. In order to maximize capacity while social distancing, seats will be assigned in advance. So if you have any requests due to limited visibility or hearing, please let Laurel know when you call to reserve a seat. Once we are together, we will continue to follow our COVID protocol for worship, including the wearing of masks throughout the service at this time. The reopening committee has also consented to begin allowing essential church and community groups to resume in-person meetings at the church. For the time being, the church hall will be available for groups of not more than 25 people who will be expected to maintain social distance, wear masks, provide a contact tracing sheet, and sanitize all surfaces touched before they leave. Groups who are interested in this option should begin by contacting Laurel in the church office. Whether online or in person, Grace United Church is an active congregation with a wide variety of activities taking place between our Sunday services. If you would like to know more about these activities, you can find us on Facebook or email the church office to be added to our email distribution list. For now though, I invite you to take a deep breath as we settle ourselves into this time of worship. 40 years ago this year, in 1981, Alberta Billy, a member of the Lai-Wi-Kai Nation in British Columbia, and a member of the United Church of Canada, made history when she stood before the United Church leaders and asked the Church to apologize to the Indigenous peoples of Canada for the social and spiritual harm it had caused, particularly through the residential school system. Five years later, during a denominational meeting at Sudbury on August 15, 1986, an apology was offered by then-moderator Bob Smith, who said, Long before my people journeyed to this land, your people were here, and you received from your elders an understanding of creation and of the mystery that surrounds us all that was deep and rich and to be treasured. We did not hear you when you shared your vision. In our zeal to tell you the good news of Jesus Christ, we were closed off to the value of your spirituality. We confused Western ways and culture with the depth and breadth and length and height of the gospel of Christ. We imposed our civilization as a condition of accepting the gospel. We tried to make you be like us, and in so doing, we helped to destroy the vision that made you what you were. As a result, you and we are poorer, and the image of the Creator in us is twisted, blurred, and we are not what we are meant to, by God to be. We ask you to forgive us and to walk together with us in the Spirit of Christ 
so that our peoples may be blessed and God's creation healed. In worship this morning, we're going to hear a Bible story that reminds us faith is not about the words we say, but about the doing of the things we say. And so as we begin this service, we remember the words of then moderator Bob Smith, not only as an acknowledgement of the indigenous peoples of this land and the harms of colonization in which the church has been complicit, but also our commitment to walk together in the spirit so that we might all be blessed and creation might be healed. May it be so. Amen. May the light of Christ shine brightly in our lives and all around us. Amen. Jesus calls us to praise and prayer, to song and silence. Jesus calls us to worship. Jesus calls us to hearing and healing, to service and solidarity. Jesus calls us to love. Jesus calls us to advocacy and action, to protest and provision. Jesus calls us to justice. Let us heed the call of Christ. Let us worship together with joy. Let us pray. Creating loving God, in Christ you show us a way to heal and to shape a new day. And you entrust us with the gifts of faith, forgiveness, compassion, trust, and love. In the changing seasons, in the changing world, your love is constant. May our witness and prayer sustain and support goodness, justice, and peace in our worship and work, enough for this day and for all the generations who will follow. Amen. Our mission and service reading is 535 New Ministries Embrace the Spirit. There is no doubt that the Church is in the midst of a radical transition. What does the future hold? Honestly, no one knows for certain, but one thing is sure, the best way to fail is to try nothing, and the only way to succeed is to experiment by doing something new. That's where you come in. Your gifts through mission and service support innovation through our Church's Embracing the Spirit grants. Embracing the Spirit is a grant program supported by mission and service. Any church called by God to pursue a great ministry idea can apply to Embracing the Spirit for funding support. In the bottom right-hand corner of the interactive Embracing the Spirit online map, the number 535 is highlighted in bold red. The number, which refers to new ministry projects awarded grants, is steadily rising. 535 is the tip of the iceberg. Since 2016, Embracing the Spirit has awarded over $3,600,000 to help communities of faith develop new ministries. Want to be inspired? Simply click one of the map pins and read the description. You will be amazed at the new ways congregations across the United Church are joining God's mission. Take it a step further and connect with one that piques your interest. Learn about ways your community of faith can grow its vision and practice of ministry. The last Embracing the Spirit grant round of 2021 is open now, and applications are due on October 15th. Even if you don't have a new ministry idea you want to pursue right now, by simply making a mission and service gift, you are helping our United Church Network support others 
striving to live out God's mission in new ways. Thank you for giving good ideas a chance to fly. Our scripture reading is James 1, verses 17 to 27. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word, but does not do what it says, is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Says Psalm 139 in Voices United, page 861. Here's the refrain. God, you have searched me, you know me through and through. Oh God, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You discern my path and the places I rest. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it, O God, completely. You guard me from behind and before and lay your hand upon me. It is beyond my knowledge. It is a mystery. I cannot fathom it. God, you have searched me. You know me through and through. Where can I escape from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I lie down in the grave, you are even there. If I take wing with the dawn and alight at the sea's farthest limits, there also your hand will be guiding me, your powerful hand holding me fast. If I say, let the darkness cover me and my day turned to night, even darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. God, you have searched me, you know me through and through. It was you who formed my inward parts. You fashioned me in my mother's womb. 
I praise you, for I am fearfully, wonderfully made. Wondrous are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being fashioned in secret, intricately, intricately woven in the mystery of clay. Your eyes saw my substance taking shape. In your book, my every day was recorded. All my days were fashioned even before they came to be. God, you have searched me. You know me through and through. How deep your designs are to me, O oh God. How great their number. I try to count them, but they are more than the sand. I come to the end. I am still with you. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. Watch closely, lest I follow a path of error, and guide me in the everlasting way. God, you have searched me. You know me through and through. Let us pray. Challenging God. Our scripture for today reminds us of the importance of your word in our lives. Yet it also reminds us that we are to do more than just hear your word. We are to live it. And so we pray that the thoughts and feelings this scripture inspires in each one of us today will inspire us to be people who embody an act of faith. May the message I share be a faithful reflection of your will. Amen. In the book Untamed, Glennon Doyle describes this conversation about racism with her daughters. I sat on my family couch and padded a spot to my left and one to my right. I said to my daughters, come here girls. They sat down and looked up at me. I told them that while they were asleep, a man who was white had walked into a church and shot and killed nine people who were black. Then I told my daughters about a black boy their brother's age who was walking home and was chased down and murdered. I told them that the killer said he thought the boy had a gun, but what the boy really had was a bag of Skittles. Emma said, why did that man think Trevon's candy was a gun? I said, I don't think he really did. I think he just needed an excuse to kill. We sat with all of this for a while. They asked more questions. I did my best. Then I decided that we had talked about villains for long enough. We needed to talk about heroes. I went to my office to find a particular book. I pulled it down from the shelf, came back to the couch, and sat between the girls again. I opened the book and we read about Martin Luther King Jr., Rosa Parks, John Lewis, Fanny Lou Heimer, Diane Nash, and Daisy Bates. We looked at pictures of civil rights marches and we talked about why people march. Someone once said that marching is praying with your feet, I told them. Emma pointed to a white woman holding a sign, marching in a sea of black and brown people. Her eyes popped and she said, Mama, look, would we have been marching with them? like her? I fixed my mouth to say, of course, of course we would have baby. 
but before I could say it, Tish replied, No, Amma, we wouldn't have been marching with them back then. I mean, we're not marching now. How often do we find ourselves in situations similar to the one that Glennon describes? We are committed to ideals of inclusion, of justice, of reconciliation, of compassion. Yet if a child were to ask us, would we have been marching with them, like her? The honest answer is that we're not marching now. In my own life, I remember how relieved I was to get my second COVID-19 vaccination. While it's not a complete get out of the pandemic now card, it does substantially reduce my personal risk, as well as the risk to those I interact with. I rejoice every time vaccination levels go up in my health unit, my province and my country, feeling a little safer with each additional person who is protected. Yet I also believe that as our moderator Richard Bott has said in a video asking United Church people to act to ensure vaccine access for people in other countries, that the pandemic isn't over for anyone until it's over for everyone. It shouldn't just be wealthy nations like Canada that have access to life-saving vaccines. I wholeheartedly believe that my life is not more valuable than the life of someone in Peru or Kenya or Pakistan. My wife and I even talked one day in the car about making a thank offering through the United Church of Canada's Gifts with Vision program to express our gratitude for our vaccinations by funding vaccination for two people elsewhere in the world. We even know that the government of Canada will match those gifts so that our donations would vaccinate four people, not just two. Yet neither of us have yet remembered to pull out our credit card and make that online donation. It wouldn't take us long. It wouldn't be a financial hardship for us. We really do believe that global vaccination is a justice issue. So why haven't we done it yet? Not to mention, why haven't we written to our politicians as the United Church moderator Richard Bott has also asked to lobby for policies that will help ensure access to vaccine for everyone in the world? It is this disconnect which can happen so easily between what we believe and how we act that is held up for us in our scripture reading for this morning from the book of James. Our scripture for this morning comes from a section in the Bible called the Epistles, which is a church word that just means letters. This section of the New Testament is frequently associated with the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the letters selected for inclusion in the Bible, more of the letters selected than anyone else. Paul's letters talk a lot about the importance of faith. If you've ever heard the phrase, we're justified by faith, which means that what we believe or give our hearts to is the most important thing in nurturing our relationship with God, that's Pauline thinking. But today we have a different epistle. We have an excerpt from a very short letter tucked almost at the end of the Bible that's attributed to James, the brother of Jesus, who eventually became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And the thing is that unlike Paul, James thought that faith by itself, if it had no works, is dead.
James began with an acknowledgement that we are, were given birth by the word so that we could become its fruits. It continued with this instruction, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Then it concluded by telling us that religion which is pleasing to God involves actions such as looking after orphans and widows in their distress. Second to the book of Esther, which never mentions God directly, the book of James is one of the most controversial books in the Bible. With its powerful pr pr pronouncements, it has a reputation of stirring up strong emotion. One preacher suggests, talk to two different people about the letter of James and you'll likely hear three different opinions. Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, famously referred to it as an epistle of straw and suggested that it not be taught in theological schools because it had nothing of the nature of the gospel about it. On the other hand, Peter Rhea Jones, an American Baptist scholar, suggests that if we actually followed the teachings described in this letter, it could actually bring off a renewing of the Christian life. He continues, there will be a recurring temptation to tame the powerful social message of this flaming letter, to domesticate it and calm its biting, all too relevant messing in palatable terms. If this message of James is allowed to go out unmuffled, it will rattle the stained glass windows. You might not, but I tend to agree with Jones. If the epistle of James doesn't rattle us a little, then we probably aren't listening very well. In a reflection on this text, Jenny McDevitt tells another powerful story. One of the sermons I remember best is a sermon I didn't actually hear. During the expected sermon time, the preacher offered only a few introductory comments and then sent the congregation out of the sanctuary and into the community to be the doers of all that we proclaim in church each Sunday. One church member said afterwards, every week we hear the sermon, this week we lived it. Though many members of my church are involved in similar activities, preparing food at homeless shelters, building homes with Habitat for Humanity and more, there was some poignant about those activities occurring during the generally reserved for sitting in church, worshiping, listening, and discussion time. One Sunday in Williamsburg, we were reminded that hearing the word and doing the word are one and the same. Faith without works is dead. Christians as individuals and uh, communities of faith are meant to be active in the world, walking the talk and living out the gospel, not just preaching it. We reveal what we believe, really believe, by what we do, not just by what we say. Yet a word of caution is also in order. In our culture where exhaustion can sometimes be a status symbol, the exhortation to act can also lead towards burnout and heart-crushing fatigue that impedes our ability to really compassionately respond to anyone's needs, our own, our loved ones, our community, or our world. 
Nadia Boltzweber, a Lutheran pastor, recently wrote a blog post about the dangers of trying to do too much. She writes, it's all too much. I used to live in a very old apartment building with super sketchy electrical wiring. Were I to audaciously assume my hairdryer could run while my stereo was on, I would once again find myself opening the gray metal fuse box next to the refrigerator and flipping the breaker. My apartment had been built at a time when there was no electric hair dryers, and the system shut down when modernity asked too much of it. I think of that fuse box often these days because friends, I just do not think our psyches were developed to hold, feel, and respond to everything coming at them right now. Every tragedy, injustice, sorrow, and natural disaster happening to every human across the entire planet in real time, every moment of every day. The human heart and spirit were developed to be able to hold, feel, and respond to any tragedy, injustice, sorrow, or natural disaster that was happening in our village. So my emotional circuit breaker keeps overloading because the hardware was built for an older time. And yet, when I check social media, it feels like there are voices saying, if you aren't talking about doing something about performing, posting about fill in the blank, then you are an irredeemably callous, privileged bigot who is part of the problem. And when I am someone who does actually care about human suffering and injustice, someone who feels every picture I see and story I read, it leaves me feeling terrible. I am left with wondering, am I doing enough, sacrificing enough, giving enough, saying enough about all the horrible things right now to think of myself as a good person and subsequently silence the accusing voice in my head? No. The answer is no, no I'm not. Nor could I. Because no matter what I do, the goal of enough is just as far as when I started. And yet doing nothing is hardly the answer. So I wanted to share something with you every something with you. Every day of my life I ask myself three discernment questions I learned from one of my teachers, Suzanne Stabile. What's mine to do and what's not mine to do? What's mine to say and what's not mine to say? And the third one is harder. What's mine to care about and what's not mine to care about? To be clear, that is not to say that it is not worthy to be cared about by someone only that my effectiveness in the world cannot extend to every worthy to be cared about event and situation. It's not an issue of values, it's an issue of math. So I try to remember, one, we are still living through a global pandemic and that means a baseline of anxiety and grief that is higher than ever and shared by everyone. Two, the world is on fire literally and metaphorically. But three, I only have so much water in my bucket to help with the fires. The more exposure I have to the fires, I have no water left to fight. 
the more likely I am to get so burned and inhale so much smoke that I cannot help anymore with the fires close enough to fight once my bucket is full again. So I try and tell myself that it's okay to focus on the fire. It's okay to do what is yours to do, say what is yours to say, care about what's yours to care about. That's enough. If immigration reform is yours to do, if it's the fire you have water to throw on, thank you, and that is enough. There will be voices saying, but what about climate change? You don't care about the planet that's dying? Tune them out. I mean, you could turn around and ask the environmentalist next door why they heartlessly don't care about immigrants, but there's no percentage in that. Instead, we could be so grateful for the people who are called to work on and respond to worthy issues that are not fires we ourselves are equipped to put out. I'm not saying we should put our heads in the sand. I'm saying that if your circuits are overwhelmed, there's a reason. And the reason isn't because you are heartless. It's because there is not a human heart on the planet you are, that can bear all of what is happening right now. So thank you for being a person who cares about and responds to animals or the environment or immigration or domestic violence or any of the other worthy to be cared, cared about things we are in the midst of right now. Just thank you. Friends, none of us can do it all. I agree with Nadia that we cannot care about everything. If we try to care deeply about everything, we will experience such a profound degree of compassion fatigue that we become unable to do anything about anything. Remember as old as the circuit breaker in Nadia's apartment might be, the letter of James is almost 2,000 years older, from a time before people even knew the earth was round. So James isn't asking us to do more. James is asking us to do something. We all can and must do something. I'm reminded of a powerful quote from the Talmud, a section of Jewish teachings. Do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justly now. Love mercy now. Walk humbly now. You are not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. So, while this sermon is pre printing for me to preach it, I'm going to pull out my credit card and make the donation to enable others to receive life-saving vaccines in another part of our global family. Similarly, Glennon Doyle realized after her conversation with her daughters about violence against people of color that she was a white person who imagined herself to be on the side of civil rights because she was a good person who strongly believed in the equality as the right idea. But the white woman Amma had pointed to in that photograph wasn't staying home and believing. She was showing up. Because she wanted to be the kind of person who showed up and acted, Glennon started reading every book she could get her hands on about race in America, filled her social media feed with writers and activists of color, 
and started each day reading the perspectives of black and brown people. As she learned more, she became increasingly uncomfortable. She had to let go of lots of what she believed about herself and her country. It was painful, but with time she began to share what she was learning and showing up to try to be part of movements for change, even when it was uncomfortable and even when she made mistakes and said or did the wrong thing. The arena in which you are called to action inspired by your faith may or may not be equal access to vaccines or racial justice. It might be homelessness or climate change or refugees or the safety of trans people or farming rights or relief for victims of natural disasters. Or it might be something else entirely that you are uniquely positioned to notice and care about. If, as the letter of James declares, faith without works is dead, then I would encourage you to bring your faith alive this week through some thoughtful action. Christians acting in accordance with their faith can rattle the foundations of our society and bring about real change so that the word of God is lived out in our world today. May it be so. Amen. Let us pray. Life-giving God, throughout this month we've been considering spiritual practices for challenging times in our lives. We've been reminded that we can always turn to you in prayer. We've considered the biblical tradition of lament, which allows us to bring even our anger and questions to you. We've relished gratitude as a reminder that even in the most challenging times, your goodness continues to surround us. And today we considered how faith can inspire us to act. And so we begin our prayers today for ourselves. Remind us that your love does not require perfection. In those moments when we feel like we aren't enough, when we judge ourselves for not being out there marching or pulling out our card to make a donation or posting about some important topic online, may we feel again our connection to your unconditional love and know that you never expected us to do it all. Let us not forget that nothing we do or fail to do will cause you to love us any more or any less. We are surrounded by your amazing grace. We pray also about the work that we are called to do. If some aren't sure of their thing, show them, O oh God. If some don't know where to begin with their thing, help them, O oh God. If some don't know, if some feel fear or apprehension about doing the thing they are called to do, may they know your courage and strength, O oh God. Help us to truly be those who don't just hear your word, but also bring it to life through our lives. We pray also for those whose buckets leave them with little water to spare right now. We remember all who are nearing the end of their life and those who care for them. May your comfort surround them. We remember all who are grieving the death of a loved one. May your love surround them. We remember all who are sick. May your healing surround them. We remember the planet as it continues to struggle with so many natural and unnatural disasters. May your peace surround it. 
We remember students and teachers as they return to school, especially those who will struggle from the impact of the pandemic on their learning these last years. May your support surround them. And now in this moment of silence, we add any specific prayers we might be bringing with us this day. God, our rock and our redeemer, we bring all of our prayers to you this day, trusting in your love and rooted in the way of Jesus, whose words of prayer we end with. Our creator, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Friends, as our time of worship draws to a close and we prepare to go live out our faith in the rest of our lives, may we go from here as workers in God's upside down kingdom, where the last are first and the first are last where needs are met in miraculous ways, and there is grace enough for all. And as we go, may the blessing of God, the love of Jesus, and the presence of the Holy Spirit sustain you and surround you, now and always. Amen.